Can you turn to Acts chapter 1, please? Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> Could I get a wee drink, please? Thank you. I'll refer to the, to the video again a little bit later. Um, it's just easier to play it at the start with our Max and all that. I'm going to start off actually in Acts chapter 1 and read verses 4 to 8. And then I'm going to go to Acts chapter 2 and read verses 1 to 4. Obviously we're not in Ephesians. We'll get back to Ephesians soon enough. But this is the first Sunday of a new year and I just wanted to hold out something for us to, to maybe keep our eyes fixed on and to maybe come back to on a regular basis. So Acts chapter 1 verse 4, Jesus is speaking and he says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let me go to chapter 2. Just setting a basis. We're not lingering long on this bit. But I just want to set this in, in the background. Acts 2, chapter or verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So Jesus tells his followers to do nothing until the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 1. It's about, it's sometime in the 40 day period after his resurrection. He has been teaching them about the kingdom of God and he says, wait in Jerusalem. Do not try anything. Sit at peace. And wait for the Spirit to come. And then in Acts chapter 2, they have this profound encounter with the Holy Spirit. An incredible experience on the pages of history. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. The church was baptized, drenched, immersed, covered in the Holy Ghost. And what is the outcome of that? We tend to personalize and individualize a lot in Christianity. We tend to take things and look at what does that mean for me? And we'll tend to take the Holy Spirit and say, well, I do this because of the Holy Spirit and I do that because of the Holy Spirit. And you'll get various churches that will emphasize particular aspects of the Holy Spirit's work. But one of the things that I have tried to really hammer hard this past few years is that the Holy Spirit's work is wide, <laughs> massive. It is much more than what we sometimes limit him to. We talk about gifts and he gives gifts. Thank God for them. I love them. I want to see them exercised. I want to see the Holy Spirit empowering his people to properly biblically use gifts for the building of the church. 
I want to see the fruit of the Spirit in people's lives. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all those things that come from walking in the Spirit. But we sometimes limit the Holy Spirit to just a few things. And we individualize what He does. It's just about me. And we miss the fact that one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit's work is a community of people that is absolutely remarkable. And this is where I want to linger in Acts chapter 2, at the end of the chapter. I want to look at how the newly formed Christian community lived. Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in a mighty way. Peter goes out and preaches and people repent and a new community is formed. And I want to look at how that community lives. Because the evidence of the Holy Spirit is not only in a transformed life. It's not only in power in the church and in our own lives for living. What does a Spirit-filled community look like? What does it look like? And Acts chapter 2 shows us what it looks like, what the priorities were. The the passage starts off in verse 42 saying, They devoted themselves. So New Year, what will you devote yourself to? All of you and me, we are all devoted to various things. Many things. A lot of us are devoted to many things. Um, But we're all devoted to things. There are things in our lives that we give our time and our resources to. We're devoted to them. Could be your family. Should be your family, (laughs) for one. But there are many other things that we devote ourselves to. The word devoted literally means, if you go into the background of the word and do a bit of playing around in Latin, it means to make a vow. Devotion. Committing yourself, it speaks of persistence, it speaks of perseverance. What will you give yourself to in 2019? What will you devote yourself to? What are the things that are so important to you that other things will be pushed aside to make room for what you are devoted to? Let me read these these verses, verses 42 to 47. As with so many things in the Bible, it's beautifully simple. (laughs) And anyone can do it if the Spirit is moving. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. And had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I think the things that Paul, or not Paul, but Luke, as he writes the book of Acts, I think the things that that Luke records here, particularly in verse 42, but also in the rest of the passage, they're good benchmarks to just take a step back and say, church, how are we doing? How are we doing? 
individually to take a step back ourselves and say, well, how am I doing? But corporately as a church, one of the things that I've been reflecting on in the past week is uh, back in the, in the early days of table, we used to talk a lot about three things, praise, truth, and friendship. Praise, truth, and friendship. When we were meeting in homes and posting on Facebook about what was going on, we would frequently put that down. That was our hashtag at the bottom of our posts. Praise, truth, friendship. And I've been reflecting back in 2018 and thinking, have we made progress in our praise? I think we have. Have we made progress in the declaration of truth? Have we made progress in community and friendship? Good to have benchmarks. Good to have things that you can use to to look back. You maybe don't see those things week to week, but when you look back over a year, you can sometimes use those as as your your baseline or your benchmark to figure out where you are. Here are the benchmarks that that Luke presents in Acts 2.42. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Devoted to it. Bible reading, Bible study, preaching, teaching, learning the Word of God. On Christmas Eve, we visited my uncle's house down in Loch God's country. And uh, he's 85, and his Bible was sitting beside the, the armchair that he was sitting in. And I said to him, Cecil, can I have a look at your Bible? And I lifted this thing up. It was like it was like the own book that Gandalf reads in the Mines of Moriah in uh, the first Lord of the Rings movie. It was wrecked. And I mean wrecked. <laughs> All, it was like something out of a museum that should have been in a glass box. All down the sides of every page. The pages were all broken and cracked. And loads of paper had flecked off the sides of them. Every page had writing all over it. There was sellotape everywhere. Just holding the thing felt like a holy moment. Here is 60 years of soaking in the Word of God. I wish it took a photograph of it. I will next time. Just felt precious. Literally, you're turning the pages really carefully because if you went too fast, you'd just tear the whole way across or like toilet roll. Incredible. And I just... A life saturated in the Word of God. Will you devote yourself to that? Have you got a plan for this year? I can tell you already, twice this week, there have been two moments where I've opened up my Bible, gone to my reading plan that I've started on the 1st of January, and heard God. Somebody has maybe sent something the night before and just blessed us with something, and then the next morning we've opened up and boom, there's the same thing. Whenever we're disciplined and devoted to this, it's exciting opening up and thinking, God, what will it be? Get yourself a reading plan. Do you engage in Bible study? And are you being changed by it? I say this frequently, but if if you can say that it's been months and months since you opened your Bible and felt the Holy Spirit prompting you and stirring you about something, there is something wrong. You never get to the point where you've got it sussed. It should be a regular occurrence when you're reading God's word and you're just thinking, I have got to do that differently. I've got to change that attitude. I can't hold that attitude in line with this verse. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Does the word of God pepper your conversation? I love having conversations with people and in the the course of the conversation, God's word comes into it. 
and we're making decisions and taking courses of action based on what we've read, what we've meditated on. We're not hammering each other, quoting you know King James English and, and, and having some sort of contest across the table. But we're allowing the word of God to direct us, submitting ourselves to it. The early church was full of truth. And one of the evidences of a spirit-filled community is that truth is given its place. Second thing that's mentioned is the fellowship. They were full of truth. They were also full of love for one another. Gilbert Bilizikian once said, I think he's either French or Swiss, I can't remember. But he said, there is a silent churning at the core of our beings, the tormenting need to know and to be known. Within every human being, there is a yearning for deep, intimate connection with other human beings. It cannot be silenced and it cannot be met by anything else. There is that yearning and that churning within us to know one another. And the early church gave themselves to fellowship. Larry Crabb wrote a brilliant book about spiritual community. It was re-released with a different title called, I think, Becoming a True Spiritual Community. But the original title was The Safest Place on Earth. That's what the church should be. The safest place on earth. Is it? Is it? Because it should be. A spirit-filled community should be a place where you can take your heart and set it on the table and know that it will be handled with care. Confidence, integrity, gentleness, challenge when needed, but challenge done in love. I wonder, do do we realize sometimes that it is God that has brought us all here? You were not recruited. (laughs) I did not knock any of your doors and say, here, you should come. This would be really good. I think you'd like it. God, the way I have frequently pictured it is totally wrong, but the picture might help. Just God with this big table in front of him and, and we're like little counters or chess pieces on the table and he just gradually moves them. And when he sees a loving community like the one I'm describing, I believe he has confidence to move people towards it. He will be safe there. I'm going to put him there. She will be safe there. I'm going to move her in there. God has brought us together. You don't get to choose your family. You get to love them. You don't get to choose your church family either. You get to love them. That's a privilege It's an honor to be entrusted with the responsibility of loving other people. That's a real high honor that God would say, this person needs love. They need safety and security. I'm going to move them into your community, into your church, and trust you to love them. I'm not entrusting you with changing their theology. I'm not entrusting you with hammering them with your doctrine or your personal little pet issues. I am entrusting you to love them. That is an honor. And the manual in the New Testament, the the manual for love, I think, is 1 John. 
Just take a read through 1 John and you'll find out how to love and how not to love. The church is not a collection of people with common interests or common backgrounds. It is a diverse group of people who have one thing in common. The Holy Spirit is alive within them, making King Jesus real to them and what he has achieved in each of our lives. That's our common experience that unites us. And these guys didn't just do this on Sundays. When you read in verse 46, it says that they broke bread in their homes and ate together. You should be in one another's homes, folks. <laughs> you should be. There should be plenty of footfall over the door. And when you come in, I, I love this. This is something that, that Eugene always used to do when he came to our house. He'd come in, he'd kick the shoes off at the door immediately as a declaration that he is at home. And then he would come in and get down on the floor and play with the dog. <laughs> we should be at home in one another's homes. We should be familiar with one another's homes and we need to maybe work on that more. This community met together. And, and the Christian community should do friendship and love better than any other community because we know that we are all made in the image of God. So every single human being is precious beyond belief. The value of a soul, that you can't put a figure on it. And therefore we should care for one another deeply. I tried to find a clip from a, a movie last night, but I couldn't, I couldn't find the one I was looking for. Um, it's a, it's, we're on a bit of a Tom Hanks theme for we had a Tom Hanks movie referred to last week as well. This week it's another one. It's Saving Private Ryan. Have you seen Saving Private Ryan? Yeah? In a nutshell, Tom Hanks is the captain of a big cargo ship. It has been hijacked by Somali pirates. And towards the end of the movie, the, the four Somali pirates and Captain Phillips are in a little life vessel, a wee orange lifeboat that is down in the water and has been, you know, taken away from the main ship. And there's one scene in particular that I'd love to have found an image of it because I remember watching it and just thinking it was really powerful. You've got this little orange thing that's not much bigger than a dinghy. And it's sitting there bobbing about in the ocean. And on either side of it and in front of it, there are these massive U.S. naval vessels. And up above, there's a helicopter. One citizen of that country, one man out of 320 million, is in trouble and needs help. He wants help. He hasn't walked into trouble. He is in trouble and he wants out of trouble. And you could very easily say, well, what's one guy out of 320 million? Just that, you know, let's let it be. It's not really a big deal. But the, the might of the military and the navy surrounds him in the water. It's ridiculous looking. These huge ships and this wee tiny orange rubber duck bobbing around in the middle of them all. And I remember the first time I watched it, I looked at it and I just thought, that's the church. That's the church surrounding and not allowing someone to be lost. Not allowing them to go down. Not just saying, well, you're only one person we let you go. We follow a shepherd who left 99 on the hillside and went after one. And in fellowship and in spirit-filled community, the might of the church surrounds the one who has been kidnapped, hijacked, taken by force, and once released, the might of the church surrounds him or her. 
The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, and it literally means sharing. And these guys were extreme about sharing. We don't live in a sharing culture. <laughs> we live in a culture that says, I work hard, that's my stuff, leave it alone. <laughs> we don't live in a sharing culture. But look at how they shared in verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. One writer, a guy called Daryl Bach, says, When a community is really functioning with love and compassion, the evidence will be that material needs are a concern and are being generously provided. That's a challenge. That's something we don't really like to talk about. But this spirit-filled community valued people more than they valued possessions. And they gave and they gave and they gave. I have been on the receiving end of that and it's beautiful. Gave and gave and gave. They valued people more than possessions. And it's not just your stuff, your time, your time, your precious time, me time, your home, as I've mentioned already. It's maybe your family. Maybe your family know how to have fun and enjoy an evening and you just invite others into it. You share it. Don't just hog it and lock the door. They shared. They were a sharing community. In Acts 4, verse 34, there's a, there's a great verse that says, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Wow. There were no needy persons among them. And that is actually a fulfillment of a, of a, of a verse in Deuteronomy 15, don't bother turning to it, but it's up here. Deuteronomy 15 talks about the seventh year of a seven-year cycle. And every seventh year, debts would be cancelled. People would be released from debt. It was like forgiveness. And when a community lived like that and their debts had been cancelled, God said in verse 4, there should be no poor among you. One of the signs of a community that is forgiven and forgiving is that there will be no poor people in their midst. There will be no poor people in their midst. That's not because poor people don't come. <laughs> it's because poor people come and are blessed. If you're aware of needs in this place, please make us aware of the needs. If you have a need, don't be scared to come and ask for help. This is a people who are living with their debts forgiven. The third thing in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 is the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. This is, as I've told you before, this is not just communion that we're going to do this morning. This is eating together. Whenever the Jewish people talked about breaking bread, if they said, come to my house and we'll break bread, it meant come for dinner. Come for dinner. And the, the, the master of the house or the father of the house would take the food, break it and distribute it. That was the breaking of bread. So these guys ate together. Again, one writer says they shared their tables with joy. That's good. 
They shared their tables with joy. Do you know what? See, if your house is a mess, it doesn't matter. You can still share your table with joy. And if you can't cook, it doesn't matter. Get a takeaway and share your table with joy. And if you don't have a table, eat it off the floor. That's even more in New Testament. Share your food. Share your table. Do you know, eating together is a powerful thing. There's a lovely verse in Exodus 24, verse 11, where Moses and the elders have gone up the mountain and the presence of God is there. And it says they saw God and they ate and drank. <laughs> like, that's not very reverent. They should have been falling down. They should have been praying and singing or whatever. They saw God and their instinct was to eat and drink in his presence. Beautiful. Beautiful. And Jesus was recognized by the couple who walked with him on the road to Emmaus. They recognized him when they ate with him. When he broke bread with them, they recognized him. Eating together was a way of sharing covenant with people. That's why the Pharisees got so annoyed with Jesus when he ate with the wrong people. It's not just that he's having a bit of grub with somebody There's much more to it than that. When you sit down and you eat with people, you're sharing life, you're sharing covenant. And the religious people did not like Jesus sharing life with the riffraff. And when we break bread at their meals, they frequently would have done communion as well. And when we break bread, another thing is that we're always bringing people back to the cross. The fourth thing that they were devoted to was prayers. Also mentioned in chapter 1 that they devoted themselves, they joined together and devoted themselves to prayer. Is prayer instinctive to you? Because I think as you mature in Jesus, prayer should be as instinctive as breathing. In fact, I have a wonderful wife who frequently wakes me up in the middle of the night praying in her sleep. She's out for the count. I'm wide awake. Sorry, sweetie, I should have asked your permission. And she's praying. And she's not mumbling. She's praying coherently for things. It's so much part of her being. That's powerful. Is prayer instinctive to you? Just flowing out of you all the time. Are you devoted to it? Are you devoted to prayer together? Together. I love our prayer meetings and we need to keep driving and driving and driving in prayer together. A few other things that are signs of this spirit-filled community in Acts chapter 2. Verse 43 says that there are wonders and miraculous signs. We don't see enough wonders and miraculous signs. And there's a lot of excuses made as to why they are few and far between. But maybe because we are not devoted enough to the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. Or it's maybe that we don't share generously. We can't stamp our feet about verse 43 and say, why are there no signs and wonders? Because I believe the Holy Spirit would just say, well, go and read verse 44 and 45. Tell me, are you doing that? Are you sharing? your life. Go to verse 42. Are you devoted to those things? Stop yapping that you don't see signs and wonders and start actually living as a spirit-filled community and see what happens. 
Another thing that they did was they praised God in verse 47. That's the same word as in Luke chapter 2 where the angels on the hillside with the shepherds are praising God, giving him glory. I love praising God in this place. I love it. But you have to fight for it. The freedom to praise him. We're so thankful for those who facilitate that and lead us in that. If the Spirit is at work in a community, there will be passionate praise. Passionate praise. Another thing they had was in verse 47, they had favor with all the people. Not everyone will welcome the church because not everyone wants the light to shine on their lives. So not everyone will love the church. But whenever a spirit-filled community is existing in a town or in the midst of a group of people, many in the outside community will see the goodness of it. They will see the benefit of it. They will realize that it is a good thing and they will show favor towards it. Way back about a year and a half ago when we were doing barbecues down in the park for the kids, there was one Friday I went up to the butchers to buy a box of burgers and sausages and bits and pieces and the guy in the butcher said to me what are these for and I said they're for a barbecue for some kids down at the park that we're just trying to make a bit of a connection with and he said in that case you can have them for cost price which was half price you get favor whenever you're living as a spirit-filled community people in the wider community favor you and can I just tell you that that little Friday night community is special I'm not down every week, but I was down on Friday night and I'm just looking around the room and thinking there's a lovely community here. All sitting in a circle playing Uno. <laughs> what wonderful spirit-filled activity. <laughs> but it was beautiful watching it. Phones away for most of them. No particular temptations at that time apart from getting annoyed with each other at Uno. It was a community. So we don't want to do church like, like our guy in the video at the start. If anybody's listening to the audio online, the video is called VR Church on YouTube. It's a funny video, but it makes a serious point. We live in a culture that is all about you and all about me. Many times you're on a website and that annoying little box comes up saying, you know, can you spare a couple of minutes to give us some feedback about your experience? Were you able to navigate well? Could you find what you wanted? Was it all clear? Or whenever you have a phone call with, with a, a customer service provider somewhere and then you get a survey sent, you know, were they nice? Were they pleasant? Did they help you? Did they understand? Could you understand them? All about me. Sometimes I marvel at people working in shops. I, I look at an interaction between a, a shop assistant and a difficult customer and then I think, I, I say to the shop assistant afterwards, how could you restrain yourself from not just telling that person exactly what they were being like? They're terrified because it's all about the customer experience. It's all about me getting what I want. It's all about me having my needs met, all the right songs in church, the right sermons. Imagine if you had an app that could turn down the conviction level of the message or shorten the time. <laughs> Imagine. But we live in this culture that we are just expected to, to walk away and evaluate everything along the lines of how did it make me feel? And therefore we get consumers in the church 
But the early church, a spirit-filled community, and I'm nearly done, a spirit-filled community held the welfare of the community up here and their own personal welfare down here. And when everybody in a community does that, everybody's welfare is looked after. It's pretty easy. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And verse 47 says, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you want to draw a crowd or do you want to build a community? Because I actually reckon if we build the community, it will draw a crowd. I believe people will show up to see this spectacle of a spirit-filled community of people living life like this. A guy called David Platt, who's a Christian writer and not a footballer for England a long time ago, wrote, I am struck by our reliance on having just the right speaker and just the right musician who can attract the most people to the worship service. What if the church itself is intended to be the attraction? That's good, isn't it? Not the speaker. Not the music, not the food, not the building, not the comfort. What if the church itself is the spectacle, the drawing force? Let us put our emphasis and our devotion into these things. If we are spirit-filled people trying to forge a spirit-filled community, let us devote ourselves to these things and see what God does. And see... Up in heaven, what pieces God moves and says, I'm going to bring you along there. I'm going to bring that person along there. We do the community. God does the multiplication. Benchmarks for the year ahead. I'm going to write in my journal when I get home that on 31st of December 2019 to meditate on this passage and to ask, have we progressed in these things? And have I progressed in these things? I think if we do this community, which is already in my eyes, and I'm biased, but a beautiful thing, a beautiful people, will become all the more beautiful as the year goes on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your truth, and thank you for the simplicity of what it means to be a community that is filled with the Holy Spirit and that is living out the life of the kingdom to one another. I just pray you'd help us, Lord, and that you would give us determination to focus on these things, not to get distracted by other things, but to focus on these four or five simple aspects of spirit-filled community and trust you to do the signs and wonders and to bring in the crowds to see what it actually looks like when people made in the image of God value each other and love each other and devote themselves to what is really important. Lord, help this community. Help it to grow and deepen and strengthen. In Jesus' name, amen.